I want to speak to you today about the authentic gospel. That is the legitimate or the, the real the real article, the true gospel. When it comes to authenticity, things that are genuine, things that are real matter. Sometimes we understand that something is a fake. It's not the real thing. It's not truly genuine, and we still go along with it. We, uh, we still use it. So, for instance, um, I remember some time ago when I was in New York City, this was back when I was a, a teenager, and I bought a, a Rolex watch. And it was nice. And by the way, it didn't say Bolex or Tolex or Schmolex or any of that. It said Rolex. Uh, it was clearly a fake. It was uh, 10 bucks. bought it from some guy. <laughs> And um, it didn't it didn't have the sweeping motion that a, a, a normal nice European made Rolex would have. It was definitely a fake, and I wore it for a while, and it looked good and everything. And then finally, I don't know, it somehow got lost, and who knows? Maybe it's being sold again in in New York. But I understood it was fake. I I knew what I knew what I was I was getting. And sometimes we, um, we treat Christianity that way. You know, we say, well, uh, I'm going to go along with this for a while. I'll wear it. Looks nice, doesn't it? Being a Christian, calling myself a Christian, going through the Christian motions, you know, doing the Christian thing. People say, well, that looks so stunning on you, being a Christian. And as long as it serves us well, we say, well, we understand it's all fake, it's all phony to us, but we'll go along with it. And then at some point in our lives, we say, you know what, we're going to discard this thing called Christianity. And off goes the watch, off goes, off goes the, the coat. It's a dangerous way to live. When something is authentic, it, it matters. In fact, we're, we're concerned if we think something is truly authentic, unlike that watch, and we find out later on it's not, that we have been taken. It's one thing to pay $10 for a fake watch. It's another thing to go into a jeweler and pay $10,000 for a watch, and later on find out it's a fake. So there's people who know what they're doing is fake, and there's other people who are going through the motions, and they don't even realize what they're doing is inauthentic or is phony or is not genuine. It's a horrible, horrible way to live. In fact, there's people who go through their whole life like that. They think something is genuine, they think their Christianity is real up to some degree, and all of a sudden they're awakened to the fact that the gospel that they believed in or didn't really believe in, that everything that they were purporting to believe and saying that they were believing was not really genuine at all. And there's people who go through all of life like this. There's people who go... Uh, through life faking it. Look at look at the Christianity I am wearing, and then there's other people who don't realize they're they're living in a fake world, a phony world, a disingenuous world, only to come out to find, to come to find that it's not real and it's not genuine. When we're talking about the gospel here, if it's authentic or not really matters. What we believe really matters. If we have been really changed or not, that really matters in our life. And so we can go through life and we can think, oh, we're just going through the Christian motions, and if we, if we ever get to a point where we can simply get rid of this thing and we don't need it anymore, just like an old coat, let's just get rid of it. Just toss it away. Let's just throw it in the trash. Dangerous way to live. Sad way to live. 
but somebody who's really seeking. Somebody who really understands what's on the line here. It's your life that's on the line. It's everything on the line. This is not a matter of getting into Christianity for a little bit. This is if mom and dad forsake the way, I'm still following you. If granddad and grandmom forsake the way, I'm still following you. If everybody else falls around me, all of my friends decide, I'm done with the Christian thing. Still, I will follow. And we better make sure, if that's the case, if we're going to give our life to this, because that's what this is, it's giving our life to it. And if we're going to give our life to this, if we're going to give our life for the gospel's sake, we better make sure what we're following is actually real. Wouldn't it be horrible to find out your whole life you had followed something? Can you imagine people in Mormonism, people in atheism, people just in the world following whatever? Christian science. You name the belief system, the belief system or the lack of belief system. At the end of their life, as they die and they stand before God, they're going to they're gonna realize in a second, in a moment of time, it was all disingenuous. It was all fake. I gave my whole life for a total fraud. So when we come to Christ, he doesn't say, just believe in me for a little bit. And uh, you still just continue on in the way that you're already living. He's saying this. If you're going to follow me, you better know that I'm real. The gospel, Jesus is saying, the gospel I preach is real. It's worth everything. It's worth who you are. It's worth your whole life. So you come to Jesus and you say, I'm not keeping anything back. I don't have anything behind my back. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Either you're convinced, listen, Either you're really convinced that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. First of all, you've got to believe he lived. He was a real man. If you don't believe that, you can't believe the gospel. You believe he really lived. You believe that he really is the Savior of the world. You believe that following him is worth it. You believe that laying your whole life down for the rest of your life is really worth it. That's a big decision. And by the way, Jesus knew it was a huge decision. This is why he didn't pressure people just into coming. He didn't manipulate people's feelings like Charles Finney did. Charles Finney would line people up on what he called a sinner's bench. By the way, this is uh, where we get, this is the granddaddy of, of where we get the altar call. And by the way, the altar call in many ways is a good thing, but oftentimes it can involve manipulation. So somebody is preaching, and they get to the end of their sermon. They say, well, somebody's got to get saved. So they, they go on and on and on. And by the way, there's time to really wait on the Lord. I've seen where somebody's preaching the gospel of Christ, and then they, they give a, a, an altar call, and no one responds. But there's a sense that the Spirit's there. And somebody is resisting God. And there's times we wait for that. We say, wait a second, there's somebody here. That's happened in this church. We had prayed over somebody at the altar that God would break the heart, and it didn't happen. The next week it happened. And some of us were here as we heard a lady fall to her knees and cry out to God in front of us all. So, unlike Finney, there's, there's nothing wrong with an altar call. We need, to, we need to call people to repentance. But the idea that we can manipulate people into the kingdom, that we can pressure them into the kingdom, that we can somehow get to their emotions to the point where they cry enough, or if they kneel enough, if they raise their hands high enough, somehow they'll They'll get in. So we say something like, okay, well, um, does anyone here want to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior today? Nobody does. Well, come on. Somebody's got to. And then we go down the, down the list. 
Is anyone here not feeling well? Okay, everyone here is feeling well. Does anyone have a dog who's not feeling well? Would you, would you raise your hand? Does anyone have a cousin who has a parrot who's not feeling well? And we see that hand. And we can, we can begin to, to manipulate people. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said this. He said, sit down and count the cost. He told the rich young ruler, he said, if you're going to fall after me, you have to sell everything you have. He meant it, by the way. When he looked into that man, young man's eyes, that young man got the clear impression because it was the truth. Jesus wasn't just saying, now, I don't really mean this, but I'm just saying if you sell all you have and come follow me, then, then you'll have eternal life. Jesus was, was getting right to the core of his heart. He was speaking right to the, to the idol of his heart, the idol of money, the idol of possession, the idol of things. And this is not mind over matter. I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in Jesus. I'm going to make myself believe in Jesus. I'm going to make myself believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Listen, that's what you're doing. I do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to make myself. Listen, you're as unsaved as the person weeping, weeping buckets of tears, but has no heart in the matter. This is not mind over matter. This is not getting yourself into a, a position where you're like, I'm going to believe this even though I really don't. I don't believe this, but I'm really going to try to believe it. I think I should believe it, that kind of thing. This is not mind over matter. This is about authenticity. That is, what is fake and what is real. And a Christian recognizes in his or her spirit, they say, I not only know this is real, but I'm going to follow it with my whole heart. I'm laying my life down for this thing. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I'm not wearing this thing like the cheap watch for a little bit. Then toss it away. It's no, no big deal if that fake Rolex gets lost. Who cares? Millions of other things get lost as well. And I don't want to give my life. Listen, I don't want to give my life to something where at the very end of of my life, I find out it was, it was all phony. So if you're seated here and you're thinking to yourself, I really want to know if this stuff is real, you're in a good position. You're in a position where Jesus wants you. Because Jesus wants you to know what is authentic. It's so authentic, it's so real, it's the most real thing in the universe. That is God. He's the most real thing in the whole universe. Eternal. Of eternal value, of eternal worth. And so we sit and we wait. We say, Lord, you told me to sit down and count the cost. I really want to follow you with everything, and I want to know this is really real because you're not just asking me to sign up for a little bit. You're asking for my life. The apostles would give their lives. That's how much they believed in this. Paul would be beheaded for the gospel. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross for his Lord. There's some tradition, we don't know if it's true, but that the apostle John was boiled in oil. We do know this, thousands upon thousands of Christians have given their lives for the gospel's sake because they know it is authentic and they know it's real. And in this text that we're looking at this morning, Paul wants us to understand this is worth fighting for. I'm not just giving you some teaching. I'm going to be a, a person who understands some verses. I got some verses down. I got some religious principles down. No, he, he, wants us, he wants us to be fully persuaded in our mind. And by the way, you know when a person's fully persuaded. They worship. Listen, they read their Bibles because they love God. They pray all the time got to pray about this. Let's pray. Let's read our Bible. They're searching for answers in the Bible. You say, that's a spiritual freak. No, it's not. It's a Christian. That's what a Christian does. 
I, I find my answers in, in the Bible. I go to God in prayer. Looking for God, looking to God, for God, for answers in life, wanting to know what is authentic. And it is a beautiful thing when you meet somebody who has met the living God through the authentic gospel. Not somebody who's just learned nice verses and biblical principles. That's all well and good. That's really good. That's all, that's all right on. Because this, by the way, this is why we even teach uh, children's church. This is why we have Sunday school. All these other things are good things. Because what we're doing is we're planting seeds. So we're planting seeds in little Mary's heart. So she's listening to the word of God and she's, she's hearing it. Might not come to fruition right away, but someday, 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 eyes are going to pop open. Little Mary's going to say, this is all true. So when we're talking about this, this is, this is not like little Bible lesson time. This is like your lifetime. This is of eternal consequence. This is of lasting value. So when, so when Paul is preaching here, he says that he wants us to understand where he got this gospel from. The first thing he wants us to know is the source of the gospel. Why don't we look at this, the source. We could say the um, origin, the source of the gospel. Verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. Now, Paul had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, this preeminent teacher in Judaism. Paul's saying, before you, before you understand everything, you've got to understand here the source of this gospel. I didn't sit across from a table and somebody just give me some principles that they had learned from somebody else. And I go, okay, I'm going to go along with the principles and the teachings and thank you very much for, for teaching me. Thank you for giving me these things to chew on. The actual original here says, I didn't receive it from flesh and blood. This wasn't a teacher who showed up and taught me these different things. He says this, for I did not receive it from any man. No, no teacher taught me this. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation, a revelation. I actually saw Jesus. Paul saw Jesus. Now, there is nothing wrong with learning from others. And if that's the message that we get, well, I don't need to learn from others. Paul says he didn't get his teaching from anyone else, and I'm not going to get my teaching from anyone else. I'm not going to listen to any pastor. I'm not going to listen to father or mother. I'm not going to listen to anyone because I've got a direct pipeline to God. That's not what Paul is teaching. Paul is the one who says he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave pastors for the equipping of the saints. We need all these things. In fact, here he is, he's teaching us. We're receiving this from, from him. But the question is, how do we know what's real? What, what do we do when there's a question when you have multiple teachers and it's amazing how many religious teachers there are. There's teachers in the church. There's teachers in the apostate church. There's teachers in Catholicism. There's teachers in Mormonism. There's teachers everywhere. There's spiritual teachers who don't teach anything about Christ. This is an amazing thing, amazing phenomenon in our day. We see it's not new, it's old, but it's amazing. People will teach spiritual things without Christ. You have all sorts of spiritual teachers everywhere. So how do you know? Paul's not saying you don't need teachers. What he is saying is there's these false teachers and there's him. And so how do you tell the difference between all these false teachers? Let, let me just stop here and just ask a question. Do you care about false teaching? 
Because this, this is a mark of a Christian. You say, I don't really care about false teaching. I don't even think about false teaching. I don't, you know, I don't even think about it. False teaching, schmal schmeeching, whatever. You know, it's just all teaching. Well, that's, that's a problem because when Paul comes along, he says there's, there's a difference between, he says, I didn't receive this from just any other teacher. I didn't receive this from flesh and blood. So the question is, how, how do you know the difference? And what Paul is saying is, go to the source. Have you ever heard that saying, go to the source? And so what he is saying is, I want you to know the source of my gospel. The source of my gospel is not just through traditions that have been passed down, even down through the ages. But the source of my gospel, Paul is arguing, Paul is very clearly Saying here, he's saying this. Now, this is huge, and only the Holy Spirit can convince us of this truth, and he has convinced many of us of this truth. That's why we're seated here today. But Paul makes an amazing claim. He says, here's the source of the gospel. It's the fact that I actually saw Jesus. I talked to Jesus, and he gave it to me. That's an amazing claim. So the question Paul is he's wanting to put in our mind is this. Who do you want to believe? I actually got the gospel, he's saying. I got the gospel that I'm preaching to you straight from the source himself. I saw the risen Lord. Think about that. Christ dies on a cross. He physically, literally, bodily rises again from the dead. And later he shows up and shows himself in a direct revelation to Paul. That's an amazing thing. And he could do that today. That's how alive he is. See, Paul is saying this is really real. Jesus is really real. Today, right now, Jesus is in heaven. There's a real Jesus, and he is in heaven currently. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, who do you want to believe? Do you want to believe teachers that say, we got our teaching just from other teachers? Or do you want to believe the teacher that comes to you and says, I actually got it from the Lord himself? He's saying, I'm equivalent. I'm on the same level as all the other apostles. All the other apostles who, who walked and talked with Christ for three, three and a half years. He's saying... Um, I'm on their level. Just as they received a direct commission from him, just as they received direct teaching from him, just as they received the gospel from Jesus himself, Paul is saying this, I have received it from Jesus himself. This is exciting. So if Paul were here today, and oh, I wish he were, if he, if he was, He'd be telling us about the fact that he knows what it's like to actually talk with the bodily Lord. You say, well, how can we believe that? I mean, who's who's going to believe that? The Holy Spirit can convince you of that. And Paul believes it enough to say that even though you have you weren't there on the road to Damascus, even though you never saw it, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and even in the pages of these scriptures, he's going to convince you of its veracity. He's going to convince you of its truth. This is why whenever we have questions about doctrine, practice, and life, anything, we always go back to the source. That's what Paul did. This is our source, it's the Bible. And so we open it up and we say this, what, what does God say? Not what does Aunt Nancy say. Not what does your friend say. Not what are other people telling you. You say, well, I don't, I don't need to turn to the word of God. Well, then you need to come to a place where you actually get saved. So, so you, you open this and you say, this is, this is what the word of God is saying, this is what the Bible is teaching. We consider the source.
So we all have a, a decision to make here in this room. Who, who are we going to believe? That's, that's question number one. Who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe all the other teachers in the world? Or do we actually believe what Paul is saying here is actually true because we are on the journey for the authentic. We want what's real. And listen, we don't want to waste our life. You think Paul ever said at the end of his life, this whole thing was a joke? I can't believe I, I got it over on people. That whole story about me seeing the risen Lord. Think about all the all the people that would be affected. You say, well, then how do you gather? How do you gather fifty or hundred or thousands of people to hear this? Because it's true. And Paul Paul is telling us in our minds. So, by the way, the way to the heart is through the mind. So he's speaking to our minds. He's saying, I want I want you to think about this. I want you to think about. Uh, not just giving your life to anything. Don't, don't give your life away for that fake Rolex. I want to give you something here that is genuine and something that is authentic. It's, it's everything. There's never been a genuine believer in the history of, of mankind that has come to the end of their life and said, what a waste. Never won. Those who put their trust in Christ are, are never ashamed, never ashamed, never ashamed. Why, why, did, why could Paul go so bravely to his death? Why could all the martyrs go so bravely to their death? Why could so many martyrs in this past century go so bravely to their death? It's because what they knew and believed was true. So Paul says here, I, I didn't... Didn't receive it from, from man. But then he talks about his, his wasted time in life. A time when his life was not following after God in Christ. He says this in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. You knew about me before. He's, in other words, what he's saying here is you understood, you remember the story of how I got converted, and you remember what I was like. I was something else, he said. I was something else before I came to Christ, before I was saved. The interesting thing is he was religious. If there was ever a religious person, it was Paul. So this man has it. He has his life together. He was, he was zealous for religious things. But he says, you know about my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God. This is the church of God. Dangerous thing to mess with the church of God. This is not any church. This is God's church. So Paul, Paul's declaring here, this isn't just a man-made church either. It's God's gospel, and it came through revelation by Jesus Christ. And this is also God's church. And he's saying, you remember me in my former life. What Paul is saying is, I went against God. I fought God's church. That's, that's like always a, a losing battle. And you might be able to put some people to death and throw some people into jail. But if you're a betting person and you have the two options of the church of God or Paul, the suggestion is always to go with the church of God. Because the church of God always prevails. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail against his church. But he says, you remember me. You remember what I was like? You remember, he says, I was, a, I was a violent man. I tried to destroy the church. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, if you flip over there, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. And just as a, a, a side note here, too, um, Saul is not his name as an unsaved man. God didn't change his name. It was not Saul, and then God came, and he got converted, and then God changed his name to Paul. 
Paul is simply the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Saul. So it's all the, it's all the same name. It's, it's just like if your name got translated into another language, if your name got translated into another language, it might sound a little bit different. That's, that's all that's going on here. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. This is a brutal man. He's so bold in his, in his zeal for false religion, in his zeal for apostate Judaism, that he's willing to go into people's houses, house after house after house. He had the, the permission, the ratification of the authorities, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is a brutal guy. Can you imagine him coming into your home? There goes dad. There goes mom. For the sake of the gospel, that would leave a, leave a lasting effect on kids. And by the way, it would leave a good one. Because the impression that it will leave upon children is mom believes in the gospel so much, dad believes in the gospel so much, they're willing not to cower to Saul, but to say, go ahead and drag us off to prison if that's what it, if that's what it costs us. I was proud of my parents as a child as I watched them get dragged off to jail when they participated in something called Operation Rescue for the Lives of Unborn Children. It was a peaceful, nonviolent protest that was all across this nation. Pastors, if I was uh, able to do it today and we were doing this, I'd participate. Because the lives of babies are worth it. And it's incredible that we don't, we don't talk more about the murder of unborn children. It's really shocking. It's really shocking. If there was a two-year-old brutally murdered in our community, the community would be outraged. And rightly so. Oh, how hypocritical we have gotten how desensitized we have gotten, how desensitized we have gotten to the gospel. We hear the gospel, we go, yeah, we know it's real. We know it's real. We get it. Oh, that God this week would put us on our faces before him. But I, I remember them sitting nonviolently, very peacefully with hundreds of other people in front of abortion clinics, a clinic as the police came with their smug faces, people cursing, saying all sorts of violent things, and them being dragged off. See, Saul comes in, dragging mommy off to jail. Mommy saying, it's okay, it's okay. He's doing it for Jesus. He's worth it. Is that the message you're sending to your kids? That's the question. He's worth it. Daddy's being dragged off. Grandpa's being dragged off. What are they going to eat tonight? God will take care of them. He's worth it. See, they could have said, Saul's coming to our house. We better deny the gospel. We'll just do it once. We'll just do it one time because then we know, we know what we really believe here. We'll sit around. We'll have family time afterwards. We'll talk about we denied Jesus, but it was just for a little bit. This is, this is real history. And Paul is saying, you, you remember me. You remember what I was like. You remember when I put the, the men and women in, in prison. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, when Saul's still breathing threats, he was a threatening man, thre threats and murder. So not only will Saul put you in jail, but if he has to, he'll make sure he'll... He'll kill you. And by the way, there was a young man named Saul who was standing by, remember holding the, the cloaks while Stephen was being martyred? That would leave a lasting impression upon him. He's like, I remember, I can't believe it. I was there. I was holding the coats while they were killing this guy. I was there. I wasn't just there. I was like, go for it. Not only was I like, go for it, then afterwards I was the one throwing people in prison and telling them I'd kill them, and I really would. No wonder the whole church is scared to death of this guy when he finally gets converted. They are scared of him. They're like, Saul's coming to preach? 
think we have a reservation at Great Wolf that weekend. We'll we'll be we'll be missing we'll be missing that. But he but he says this. You you know about my former life in Judaism, verse thirteen of, of Galatians one. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Nothing will destroy the church of God. Nothing will destroy the church of Christ. And I was in advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. In other words, he's saying all, all the other youngsters that were in the class, I was, I was beyond them in their understanding, in their thinking. I was a valedictorian. I, I, I was the one Paul is saying. I, I was the one who was doing really good in my class. Gamaliel thought I was something else as I sat at his feet. Those are the traditions, by the way, that are being passed down from man to man, not the word of God. He says, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions, not the word of God. They would sit there in, in Paul's day, uh, the rabbis and uh, the, the Pharisees, many of the Jewish teachers, and instead of studying the Bible, which is what we should be reading, which we should be studying is, is the Bible, they were studying all sorts of different interpretations about it. And they were studying this tradition and that tradition. This is what Paul was saying. I knew all the traditions. They're so intricate and complicated. Nobody can understand them. But he's saying, I understood them to a degree, and I was advanced beyond other peers of mine. I was doing, I was doing okay, following after these uh, traditions. Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked so clearly about the difference between following after the scripture and following after man's traditions. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. If you go over there, Jesus is talking about man's traditions. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said this, you're, you're thus making void the word of God by, <clears throat> by your tradition. Making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is, this is what Saul was advancing in. He knew the traditions. He knew the interpretations. He knew the customs. He was really good at all of this stuff. It's amazing how much of his life he had wasted. Isn't it amazing how, how many people don't even know God will spend hours getting a theology degree or a philosophy degree? Kind of a stunning thing to think that somebody would want to teach theology or somebody would want to become a pastor and they don't even know the Word of God. They fight everything in the Word of God, but they'll give their whole life for it. Paul looks back at his life and he says, I was advancing, I knew all the traditions, I was... I was religious, and now he grieves over that. He grieves over that life. He says, what was I thinking? I was so blind. Keith Green used to say, like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway. And he says, the curtains came down. I thought I was so right. That's what Paul's saying. I thought I was right. I was convinced. I thought actually what I was doing was for God. When I go into these homes, I don't know how I was so blind, but I was. I was listening to all the wrong people. I was even listening to the religious authority, and they led me astray. I was blind. How, how could I have gone so long listening to the wrong stuff. And by the way, this is the testimony of every person in this room that knows Christ. You say, well, I wasn't looking for a theology degree. I wasn't trying to press on in the traditions of religion. But I look at my life and I look back over and I go, what was I thinking? Why was I listening here to this person or this group of people? I was blind like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky. 
And you know what Paul looks back at his life, his former life, and he says about it? It's interesting. If you go over to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse, verses 7. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. So if you're talking about columns of profit and loss, gain and loss, he's saying all this stuff in the past is in it's in the loss column. You can see his credentials there in the verses before that, but he says, everything, verse 8, I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says this, and count them as rubbish. I count them as trash. This could even be interpreted, I count it as manure, feces. In order, in order that I might gain Christ. This is, I look back on all that stuff and I say to myself, oh, was I, oh, was I blind? Oh, oh, was I lost? Maybe this would be a, a good time to stop and just ask ourselves a question. Do you pride yourself even in the days of religiosity in your life when you don't, when you didn't know the Lord? And you look back on those days and you say, well, I wasn't really a Christian, but I was still a decent person, went to church and that kind of thing. Or do you look back on your life and go, what a waste. I can't believe I believed in all that stuff without really knowing him. Or, or do you look at the good old days of sin as good old days? Oh, remember back when I was in my early 20s, the things we used to do back then. Oh, it was all bad and everything, but what a time we had. Wow, was it great. I've talked with older people who are still listening. They're still looking back at their at late teens and 20s and 30s, wishing that they could get back to sin even more. True. Oh, those, those were the days. Those were the glory days of my life. Wonderful days of sin. I can only get back. Too old now. By the way, you have people who are older who are trying to still live out their glory days. And that's even more tragic. They don't realize that they're 40, 50, 60, 70. They're not 20. Or, or do you look back at your life and you say, I, uh, I count it all as trash. Count it all as rubbish. If you could take me back. If I only knew, if my eyes were open, I would have never, 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 never gone there. That's what Paul's saying. Looking, looking, looking back on his life in a previous time, he is saying, I knew it all, but I didn't know. I didn't know anything. But then he says here, he tells us the power of the gospel here in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, so before Paul was even born, before he got into all the religious stuff that would carry him away from the gospel, he had already been called, he had already been predestined to come to God, even before he was born. That's something. God, God knows all the curves and the turns in our life. And yet before we were even born, according to the scripture here, what Paul is saying is that he had been set apart. Set apart for what? Well, he was set apart for apostleship, but he was also set apart for salvation. He called me, he says, by his grace. What kind of calling is this talking about? You mean he just heard a preacher's calling? No, no. He heard the internal voice of the Holy Spirit calling him, saying, you're mine. Come to me. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me. You remember when that happened? Go back with me again to Acts 9. Acts chapter 9. He revealed Christ to him. This is 
This is what Paul is, is talking about. He's talking about his conversion when he came to Christ. He's saying, I, I had been predestined before the foundation of the earth to come to God, but there was a certain point in my life where I actually came to him when he, when he called me. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? By the way, something that's missing that's often often thought here of in this text is a horse. You often hear that Paul fell from his horse. There's, there's no horse here anywhere in this text or anywhere in Scripture. It doesn't say he fell from a horse. We have, we have pictures of Paul falling from a horse. That's why often we think of that. But he didn't fall from a horse. He simply fell to the ground. Verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So he says here, he goes, I, I remember when Christ came and he directly, by revelation of his son, showed me who he was, showed me that I was actually persecuting him showed me that I was actually going after the church of God. And all of a sudden, in a split moment, in a split moment, I saw it all. My eyes were open to the truth. And this is the testimony of every believer. So somebody asks, do you know Christ? You don't just say, well, yes, I was taught some things by another person. And I kind of believe that they're true. The testimony of every believer is that we have actually been taught by God for ourselves. That we heard the gospel and we actually heard the voice of God in it speaking directly to us so that we respond in faith. Isaiah chapter 31, if you flip back there, Isaiah chapter 31, Isaiah chapter 31 verse Actually, wrong book, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31, verse 34, says this, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And then one more verse in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for, for your sake. So we can actually testify with Paul. We, we cannot say we actually saw the risen Christ, that he showed up to us. But we can say, if you're a believer, we can say, I've been taught by God. He opened my heart with the power of the Holy Spirit. May I stop and ask you, have, has your heart been opened by the power of the Holy Spirit? Can, can you testify along the same lines of what Paul is saying? I know God because I've been taught by God. I didn't consult with anyone. That's what he says here. Verse 16, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. By the way, Paul went into Arabia for three years. So he gets saved, and then we'll talk more about this next week, but he gets saved, and then he goes into Arabia. He didn't go find Peter and the other apostles. And then he returned to Damascus. This is the, the power of the gospel. Knowing God, being taught by him, 
knowing the real thing, knowing that this is authentic, it's real, being fully convinced of it. Are you convinced? When, when you hear these words, do you know in your heart this is true? Have you been convinced of the gospel? Has the Holy Spirit opened your heart to where you know? Now, you're not just guessing, but it's the real deal. It's not the fake watch. It's worth giving your life for. The authentic gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us what is authentic and true. Lord, we ask you that you would convince anyone who's not really fully convinced in their own mind, persuaded in their own mind by the Holy Spirit's power and with full conviction. And God, we ask you that that's what you would do in the hearts of unbelievers in this church, that they might know you, that they might be taught not by a teacher, only, but they might be taught by the Holy Spirit. So persuaded, so convinced, with absolute, unassailable certainty that these things are true. And that's what you tell us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that that's what faith is at its core. It is assurance. It is certainty. Lord, would you bring that about in our hearts? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Christ, you're, you've not been convinced with certainty that you need Jesus Christ. But today you hear his voice and you say, I believe this. I believe it. Believe it. I hear the voice of God in this. I want to give my life for this. I want to give my life for Jesus' sake. No turning back, no turning back. That's you. Would you raise your hand? You say, I need Jesus. I want to give my life to him. Is there one? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.